Morning, Gateway. I love you. You're a great church. So good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you would open them, please. We're in the Old Testament this morning. And before we get into the uh, 1 Chronicles 29, which is our passage this morning, I want to ask a survey. Are you okay to do a survey this morning? Survey on ownership. I just want you to raise your hand. How many of you own a car? Truck? Motorcycle? Only one motorcycle. A bicycle? Okay, that's very good. How about a boat? Anybody own a boat? Yeah, some of you aren't sure if you have a boat or not. I have a rubber boat. My hand's up. How many of you own a home? A cottage, camper or trailer. How about a condo in the tropics? Shucks, nobody in this congregation. How many of you own a phone, smartphone? iPad, iPod, tablet, computer. How many of you own a dog? A cat. A bird. A horse. Hmm. How many of you own your own business or corporation or company? Awesome. Well, there's a lot of ownership in this room, and that's wonderful. Ownership's great. It's amazing. And we live in a country where we're free to own things. But you know, ownership comes with anxiety. It comes with stress. Because things break. A while ago, we had a week in our home where our fridge broke, our dishwasher broke, our washing machine broke, and our lawnmower broke all in the same week. I thought, dear God, it's a plague. (laughs) Ownership's great, but things break. Pets break. People break. Some of you this morning may have siblings or children or parents who have who have maybe gone off the rails of faith, etc. Things break, businesses break, jobs break. Ownership is a huge blessing, but it does bring anxiety and stress and even disunity. But I want to talk to you about a man today from the Bible who owned everything. He was the richest man in the world. And yet he lived joyfully, and generously. God called him a man after his own heart. And what I want to talk about today, I think, is the reason why. So if you would turn to 1 Chronicles 29, we're going to start reading in verse 9. We're going to read a long passage down to verse 20. This series is called A Life Worth Giving. And the message this morning is that is the foundation for this whole series. If you get this, all the rest of the messages will make sense. So let's read this passage together, starting in verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they'd offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. 
Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people? That we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you. Why don't you turn to a neighbor and say, all things come from God. And of your own we have given you. For we're strangers before you and sojourners. As all our fathers were, our days on earth are like a shadow. There is no abiding. O Lord our God. All this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand, and all is your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the King. Father, we thank you this morning that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're asking you this morning that the truths that are so rich in this passage, you would make live to us today in 2017. Open our eyes to see how glorious and great you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the context of this passage is King David is making preparations for his son Solomon to build the temple. And something supernatural is going on in the midst of this. There's an incredible outpouring of generosity. The people, the Bible says here, gave freely and willingly and joyfully. And just the amount of gold they had given in today's uh, currency would have been $10 billion. So something wonderful is happening here. And as David makes his prayer and his dedication to the Lord, there's some profound truths about what we're, our series is about. The first truth we see in this passage is God made it all. God made it all. Verse 10, David begins his prayer by saying, Blessed are you, O Lord, God 
of Israel. This word Lord is the Hebrew word Jehovah or Yahweh. It means the pre-existent one, the existing one, and the eternal existent one. It's the great I am. And then he goes on, and this word God is the Hebrew word Elohim. It means the supreme, all-powerful one. It's the same words that's used right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The first thing the Bible tells us here is that God is the creator. David goes on in verse 11 and says, Your greatness, your power, your glory, your victory, your majesty, yours is the kingdom, and all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours, and you are exalted as head over all, verse 11 says. Why? Because the God of the Bible is the creator of all things. He's the source. He's the head. He's the author. He's the authority. Genesis 1.1 says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth just by the word of his mouth. He spoke and it was a happening. And God still speaks today. He speaks to us in his word. He speaks to us in other ways. And that's what the Hearing God Seminar is about. It teaches us, equips us, trains us how to hear God's voice today in our lives. And whenever God speaks, something happens. His word never goes forth without creating what his word was meant to create. John 1 verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. That's why Romans 11 says, From him are all things. To God be the glory. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, For by him Christ, the image of the invisible God, all things were created. God made it all. And God made you. You were created by God. You might say, "Uh -uh. my mom and dad created me. An egg, a sperm came together and that's me. Well, God begs to differ. That may have been how it happened, but he thinks he created you. And he did. Psalm 139, this is David again. David has an incredible revelation of how great God is and how thorough God is in every detail of creation. In Psalm 139, he says, God formed my inward parts. God knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. If you were just made by your parents... You have a whole different perspective on life. But if you were made by God, everything changes. For one thing, you can't criticize yourself. You can't hate yourself. You can't reject yourself. The creator made you a certain way and he made you a certain way for a certain purpose. Right now, we have a grandbaby 
that is seven months in the oven. That little baby's being created. An egg and a sperm came together. But I'm so grateful that King David gave us this understanding that no, what's actually happening is God, the personal God, the creator God, is knitting that little life together in that womb. And you know, we're partnering with God right now. We're praying with him, Lord, incline that little baby's soul to your word and not to selfish gain. Give that little baby a heart for you. Fill that little baby with the Holy Spirit right from the womb. God made it all. The second truth from this is that God sustains it all. God didn't just create it, wind it up, and let it go. This God, the creator, is actively involved moment by moment in our lives, if we'll let him. The King David says in verse 12, riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. That's present. That's now. In your hand are power and might to make great and to give strength to all. That's now. God is actively involved in sustaining all his creation. That's why Romans 11 verse 36 says, not only from him, but through him are all things. To him be the glory. And why Colossians 1 says, in Christ all things hold together. You and I are held together today by the living God. We're not on our own. If Christ did not sustain all things, the universe would scatter in who knows what directions. God sustains it all. God is actively sustaining you. Every beat of your heart, every breath you take comes from God. And David says this again in Psalm 139. He said, in your book were written all my days when as yet there was none of them. All your days, all your breaths are numbered. Paul says this in Acts 17, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath. This God is sustaining us, upholding us. He's actively involved in his creation. I experienced this last week in a very interesting way. Aaron and a few of our pastors went to an Empower weekend. We had to get up really early. We were up really late. We had to drive about 45 or 50 minutes, uh, both Friday and Saturday, to get to this, this Empower weekend. And by the time Saturday afternoon came, I was absolutely exhausted. I was sitting in the chair, literally falling asleep, like maybe some of you might be this morning. I, I could not keep my eyes open. And I actually, it was so embarrassing. I, and I was right at the front. We were only two or three rows back. I actually ducked down behind the person in front of me so the speaker couldn't see me because I was just, my eyelids were going. And I thought, God, how am I going to get through today? It's only three o'clock. Now at four o'clock, we had a practicum where they were going to lay hands on us and fill us with the Holy Spirit, and we could lie down on the carpet. 
And I was waiting. I said, Lord, please help me get through to four o'clock. If I can just get through to four o'clock, I'm going to lay down on that carpet and I'm going to go to sleep and nobody's going to know what's happening. Well, I made it. Four o'clock came. I was the first one out of the line. I stood there. They prayed for me. Boom, I went down on this nice soft carpet. They even put a pillow under my head and I laid down and I thought, oh, Jesus, thank you. I couldn't get to sleep. The Holy Spirit started to minister to me. And I, and I could feel his presence, and I started to pray. And, and then we were, we were conversing, and I was opening my heart up to him. And, and I must have laid there for half an hour. I never slept at all. It was really disappointing, but the Holy Spirit was ministering to me. But when I got up, I was not tired anymore. We sat down, we had another session, and I thought, hey, I'm not tired. I drove home. I was expecting at some point I'm just going to crash. I drove home. I had to prepare a message. I was up really late that night. I wasn't tired. I went to sleep about 1 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't get to sleep. I just laid there in bed. Just the presence of the Lord was ministering to me. I got up early the next morning, preached the message, two messages, went through the whole day, stayed up late Sunday night. For 30 hours, I was not tired at all. Why? Because God was sustaining me. He was actively involved in my life, not only holding me together, refreshing me, reviving me. That's the kind of God that David is talking about here. He made it all. He sustains it all because he owns it all. Verse 14, King David says, All things come from you. Of your own we have given you. David is saying that all their offerings that they made to God came from God. That would be like Sidney coming to Aaron and saying, Dad, I know your birthday's coming up. Can I have $50 to buy you a gift? <laughs> uh, Sidney, that's not the way it works. <laughs> this is your gift to me, not my gift to me. But not with God. God says, no, I'll give you everything to give back to me. Why? Because I own it all anyway. All this abundance, David says in verse 16, comes from your hand and is all your own. God owns it all. And not only does King David think God owns it all, God thinks he owns it all. And he does. Psalm 50, God says this in verse 10, Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds on the hills and all that moves in the field is mine for the world and its fullness are mine David says this again in Psalm 24 the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all those that live in it belong to him Ezekiel 16, God is speaking to idolatrous Jerusalem. He says, you took your beautiful jewels of my gold and my silver, 
which I had given you, and set my oil and my incense before these idols, and my bread that I gave you. And verse 20 and 21 says, You took your sons and daughters, whom you had borne to me, my children. God even owns our children. That's why Romans 11 says, From him and through him and back to him are all things. God is the creator of all, the sustainer of all, and the inheritor of all because he owns it all. And that means he owns you. He owns you, even if you have never said yes to Jesus, he owns you because he created you. He authored you. And if you have said yes to Jesus, he owns you twice. He's your creator and your redeemer. When Christ hung and suffered on the cross and died and rose again and ascended into heaven, he bought us. He owns us. He's forgiven us, and he's given us the power to live a new life. That's why 1 Corinthians 6 says, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to this creator who is actively involved in sustaining you. The fourth truth from this passage is that God is generous with it all. Verse 16 and 17 say, All this abundance comes from your hand. I have freely offered all these things, and I've seen your people offering freely and joyously to you. These people were able to give $10 billion in gold, as well as probably millions of dollars in other materials, because God was generous with them. And God wants to be generous to you. And and the way his kingdom works is the more we give, the more generosity flows back through us. God wants to pour out more than enough in your life. I had a vision a couple of weeks ago of the incredible abundance of God that God is just waiting to pour out on us. Abundance of life, abundance of love, abundance of joy, abundance of goods, abundance of everything he's created. And so often we settle for so little. God wants to overflow with his generosity. That's why Jesus said in Luke 6, Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, pouring into your laps. And you know, that's not the word faith movement. That's just the Bible. The word faith people got a hold of a truth of the Bible. But when our consumer culture picks that truth up, it turns it into something selfish. 
When God meant it to be turned into something that overflows in generosity throughout the world, not just our own culture. God is generous with it all. And then lastly, the fifth truth here is, but God tests the heart. Verse 17, David says, I know, my God, that you test the heart, and I have pleasure in uprightness. King David knew that God tests the heart with his generosity. God isn't playing some game of semantics with ownership here. He tests our heart. Will you be generous with my resources? Can I trust you? God takes pleasure in uprightness, David said, doing the right thing the right way. Will you do with my resources what I want you to do? Will you do with my resources what is right in my eyes? There was a pastor, this is a true story, a pastor who took his little son to McDonald's for french fries. The kid loved french fries. So the dad thought, I'm going to treat him. He took him to McDonald's. The dad stood in line, ordered the fries, bought the fries, brought the fries to the table, opened them up, put the salt and the vinegar and the ketchup on them, and then little Johnny went to town. And dad just sat there enjoying his son, enjoying these deep-fried golden potatoes. And the kid was reveling in it. The dad was enjoying watching his son, and then he thought he'd like to have one. So he reached over to pick one out of the pile, and Johnny slapped his hand, wrapped his arms around the fries and said, No, dad, these are mine. The dad was shocked. And he was speechless. So he, he just sat there. And the longer he sat there and thought about it, the more upset he got. He thought, didn't his son know that he was the source of those french fries? He stood in line. He ordered them. He supersized them. He paid for them. He brought them. He arranged them. He was the source of those fries. Didn't his son know that he was bigger and stronger and smarter? He could have just taken all those fries. He could have sent his kid back to the car. Didn't his son know that he could provide more fries than his son could ever imagine? And didn't his son know he didn't even need his son's fries? He could get his own. The more he thought about it, the more concerned he became about his son's attitude. What he really wanted from his son was for his son to invite him into his world that his dad had created. He wanted his son to joyfully and generously be willing to share the blessing that he had given his son. And then the penny dropped. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. And he said, I own all the French fries. And I have the ability to take them all away or give you more. And I want you to be generous with those French fries because I want you to be like me. God owns all the French fries. And King David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us wisdom on how we can live in light of God owning all the French fries. Number one, 
God wants us to live as stewards. Verse 18, David prays, O Lord, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. What purposes and thoughts does David want to be in their hearts? The purpose and thought that God owns it all. It all belongs to him. King David understood he was a steward, not an owner. He understood everything belonged to God. God had generously given David everything he had, and David's responsibility was to steward it for God's purpose and God's glory. The same is true for you and me. We're not stewards, we're owners. Sorry, we're not owners, we're stewards. (laughs) Glad you're not sleeping. Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. A steward was one who served as a household manager. He had no wealth of his own, just distributed his master's wealth according to his master's will and direction. Stewardship is the obedient management of God's resources for God's glory. And Jesus said, one day we will give an account. Matthew 25, the 10 virgins, the talents, and the sheep and the goats. Matthew 25 is all about stewardship. And Jesus said, one day, every single one of us will give an account. Stewardship deals with stress. It deals with anxiety. God owns it all. Then all my possessions are his problem. And that's exactly what I did that week. All our appliances broke down. I said, okay, Lord, I'm teaching about this. Your refrigerator just broke. (laughs) And your dishwasher just died. And your washing machine just broke. And your lawnmower just broke. What are you going to do about it? And God did something about it. Every single one of those appliances... I can't even explain what happened. I do not know how they all got started because they were expensive. I don't know how it all happened. I just know at the end of the day, it got taken care of and we didn't go into the hole God had provided. I'm just a steward and so are you. The very first person to reach the status of billionaire was a man who knew how to set goals and follow through. At age 23, he became a millionaire. At age 50, he was a billionaire. Every decision, every attitude, every relationship was tailored to create his personal power and wealth. But three years later, at the age of 53, he became ill. His entire body was racked with pain. He lost all the hair on his head. In complete agony, the world's only billionaire at that time could buy anything he wanted, but he could only digest biscuits and milk. An associate wrote he couldn't sleep, he couldn't smile, he wouldn't smile. Nothing in life meant anything to him. And his personal, highly skilled physicians predicted he would die within a year. The year passed agonizingly slow. As he approached death, he awoke one morning with the vague remembrance of a dream. 
He could barely recall the dream, but he knew it had something to do with not being able to take any of his resources into eternity. And something changed. He called his attorneys, accountants, managers, and announced he wanted to channel his assets to hospitals, research, and mission work. On that day, John D. Rockefeller established his foundation. This new direction eventually led to the discovery of penicillin, cures for current strains of malaria, tuberculosis, and diphtheria. The list of discoveries resulting from his choice is absolutely enormous. But perhaps the most amazing part of Rockefeller's story is that the moment he began to see himself as a steward of God's resources, not an owner of his, By giving back a portion of all that he had earned, his body chemistry was so altered, he got better. It looked as if he would die at age 53, and he lived to 98. There's something powerful that happens in stewardship. When we see God owns it all, but we've been given his resources to steward, and we steward them the way he wants, generously and joyfully, something supernatural happens. God wants us to live as stewards. Secondly, God wants us to live thankfully. Verse 13, David says, Now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. King David understood that if God owns all the French fries, then the only reasonable response is one of thanksgiving for his generosity and kindness. Cultivating a grateful heart will deal with entitlement. Someone has said gratitude, not love, is the healthiest emotion. Giving thanks for everything and in all circumstances, as Paul says in Ephesians 5 and 1 Thessalonians 5, will change your perspective and your disposition. Replacing pride with thankfulness will transform our lives because pride grumbles and complains and is negative and self-pitying. But gratitude is a manifestation of humility. It shines the spotlight on someone else and gets us out of ourselves and opens the floodgates of grace. Because gratitude is an action, an expression of humility. In fact, the Hebrew word for thanksgiving is yada or yahada. It's the same word for confession. To offer thanks is to confess dependence on God or someone else. To acknowledge that others have the power to benefit me. And to admit that my life is better because someone else has contributed to me. And that results in humility. And gratitude not only transforms your life, it transforms people's lives around you. Gratitude impacts everyone around us. Bill was a drunk, converted at a city mission. Before his conversion, he had a reputation as being someone who was absolutely hopeless. But when Bill said yes to Jesus and was born again, 
from above. His whole life changed. He became the most caring person in the mission. He spent all his days there doing whatever needed to be done. There was never anything that Bill was asked to do that he didn't do it and do it with a joyful heart. And he was always giving thanks, whether it was cleaning up filth or toilets. or He was always thanking other people and he was always thanking God. One evening, after the mission director had delivered his evangelistic message to all the men whose heads were down and hunched over, one of them surprisingly came forward to the altar. And as he knelt down, he began shouting out, Oh God, make me like Bill. Make me like Bill. God, make me like Bill. The mission director was a little embarrassed. He leaned over and said, Shouldn't you be saying, Make me like Jesus? The poor guy was a little confused. He looked at the director a few seconds later and he said, Is he like Bill? (laughs) But when we give thanks, we become like Jesus, don't we? And that infects people around us. Thirdly, God wants us to live as stewards, thankfully. And thirdly, and lastly, God wants us to live generously. Verse 14, who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer thus willingly? I freely offered all these things and now I've seen your people offering freely and joyfully as well. This is supernatural giving. Heaven breaking into earth. And we see this in the New Testament in Acts chapter 4. The Holy Spirit came No one said anything they owned belonged to them. There was generosity flowing in every direction and supernatural joy. God delights to share all his resources. He's not miserly. He doesn't measure. He's not calculated. We see that when Jesus hung on the cross. We see it when he poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. And if we ask, God will give us his supernatural joy in generosity. You might have to obey first and experience second, but you will experience it. And you know, the first thing we offer in stewardship is ourselves. He doesn't want our money. He doesn't need our money. He wants us. And I want to encourage you. I'm going to give you a little exercise to do for about five minutes. If we could have that slide, Josh, that'd be great. I want you to find a partner. And I want you to answer these questions. As we begin this series, could we ask the Lord to speak to us? We've all heard this stuff on stewardship before. Yeah, 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 I know. It's all about money, money, money. No, it's not about money. It's about God. It's about God doing something supernatural through my life. And the second question, or or the listening prayer is, Jesus, what would you like me to be thankful for and generous for? Would you speak to me? And then I want you to pray with one another and bless one another that this series we're about to enter into that we've started today would actually be life-changing and supernatural and joyful and liberating. Okay? Are you good to do that? Five minutes?
Good, okay, great. We have one person who's willing to do that. Find a partner. Find a partner. <clears throat> and pray together. Ask the Lord. Listen. Write down what you get. Share with your partner. And then pray for one another. And I'll give you about five minutes to do that. Asking the Lord, Jesus, where would you like me to be thankful? And where would you like me to be generous? And just write them down. Whatever thoughts come to you, maybe a scripture comes to you, a thought, a picture, a person, or whatever. Just write it down. Remember, generosity doesn't necessarily have to do with stuff. It could do with affirmation or encouragement. There's just so many areas to be generous with affection. If you didn't get anything, uh, then just have your partner pray for you that God will speak to you about it, okay? We'll give you a couple of minutes just to pray with each other. On your mark, get set, go. Go.